But we will have a Gatsby right on. Let's get our Gatsby hymn books and turn to number 745. I think you're going to like this one this morning. It's by Marriage. And it's titled The Simple Hearted. And that's my category. I fit there just beautiful. Number 745 in the Gatsby. When Jesus would his grace proclaim, he calls the simple, blind and lame, to come and be his guest. Such simple folk the world despise. Yet simple folk have sharpest eyes and learn to walk the best. They view the want of Jesus' light, of Jesus' blood and Jesus' might, which others cannot view. They walk in Christ the living way and fight and win the well-fought day, which others cannot do. They all declare, I nothing am. My life is bound up in the Lamb. My wit and might are His. My worth is all in Jesus found. He is my rock, my anchor ground, and all my hope of bliss. Such simple soul I fain would be, the scorn of man, the joy of thee. Thy parlor guest and friend do make me, Lord, a little child. Right, simple-hearted, meek and mild, and loving to the end. May that have blessed your heart like it did mine. I love to read these in the Gatsby. You can't read too many either because the thoughts are so diverse that you, you lose great and wonderful thinking if you go to another one right away. You have to really just enjoy them one at a time and give them some thought. All right, for our message this morning, I thought I would treat you to a strange portion of scripture to most of us because I don't know if we've ever had a study in this particular book or not. It's the book of Jude, the book just before Revelation. Everybody turn there. We'll read the whole book. It's only 25 verses. And then we'll, we'll talk about a few of the amazing things that Jude comes up with. Jude must have been one of, the, one of the best of Bible scholars of all time because he comes up with some information and some facts that we have never heard of before in all the scriptures, and yet Jude has them for us. So let's start reading in the first verse of Jude. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, 
how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts and those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are, without water, carried about of winds, trees, whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts and their mouths speak great swelling words having men's persons in admiration because of advantage but beloved remember remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our lord jesus christ how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust these be they who separate themselves sensual having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and ever Amen
Let's bow our heads. Father, we have just read a small, complete portion of thy word. And again, it has condemnation. It has blessing. It has the glorying and the glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that every page of this book is an admonition to us. And every page thou art revealed throughout the volume of this book. We thank you for the freedom to read it. We thank you that for the freedom to own it. It can be read in public, it can be read in private. And thou dost speak to our heart wherever we read it. We ask that our Lord Jesus Christ will be lifted up and glorified this morning by seeing the picture of him in this book of Jude. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, as we read, did you feel that you were reading a lot of strange things? so many and varied things within this 25 verses. You know, the other night we had a young fellow speak for us here, and he just went on and on and on and on from one to the other, from one thing to the other, and on and on from one character to another. It's kind of like what Jude's doing here. He just uh, goes on and, and brings in one character after another. But let's, uh, let's start at the beginning and we will spend a few minutes just going over highlights of the book of Jude. Nothing in depth because we don't have much of a preparation. We're just going to read it as it is and, and talk about it as it is. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. So it, it's, it's to God's people. Nobody else are sanctified or set apart by God the Father except his people. And they're preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Now the order doesn't have to stay in that particular order. A lot of folks make hard and fast rules because of the particular order that there are in the scriptures. We talked this morning about God preserving us by his angels. We had said that God's angels are ministering spirits to them which will or shall believe. And so possibly they're preserving here in Jesus Christ and then, then the calling when the Holy Spirit uh, touches a sinner's heart. In verse 3, he's speaking about something that got to be very, very important. He said, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Somehow, religion seems to be the easiest thing to water down. It must have started way back there at the same time because they give us lots of instruction in this particular book of how ungodly men crept in and they come in with their, with their doctrine. 
And if it was so almost 2,000 years ago, what is it now? Well, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the salvation of a soul is so watered down in this day and time that it is no more a gospel. And yet it is very, very popular with people. You know why? Because it never, it never brings them to the place of where they have to bow before God. Strangely enough, the human heart, even though it is uh, a creation of God himself, never ever wants to acknowledge itself as being lost and without strength and without hope. No matter who you would talk to, I don't care how bad a person is or what they have done or what they know or what they don't know, if you talk to them about God and about heaven, they have a self-sufficient hope. And it seems like Satan controls all of modern-day religion with this philosophy in mind that a person's good deeds, now not necessarily their deeds, but even their intentions, their good intentions and their good thoughts will be put on a scale and that scale is to be outbalanced there, the bad things and the things they have done in life. And if it just, just manipulates the scale enough to go in the favor of good, they have made it to heaven. It's hard to, it's hard to put myself in the place of a person who thought like that, but I did. There was a time when I actually believed that that was what brought a person to heaven or what salvation was. I did not know that a person had to have a substitute. And the reason for that is, is because there was no way that anybody can please the rules of the game that God the Father made about life except the Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking this morning, the reason why we can't talk to very many people about their soul or about salvation or about evolution or about anything is the fact is that they're wholly, completely ignorant of God's Word. They have no recollection what's in God's Word. They're absolute strangers to it. And therefore, you have nothing to base your talk upon. If you say, well, God's word says, well, God's word means nothing to them. They don't even know about it. They don't even know if you're telling the truth of what's in God's word. There is no basis of conversation with anybody that doesn't know God's word. And before this time, I've kind of blaming people for being hard-headed about certain subjects. But I understand that they have no knowledge of the truth. This is the only book in the world that contains the truth. This is the only book in the world that is the truth. No other book, no other writing, and there's thousands upon millions of publications in this world. And this is the only book that tells the truth. There was a time when they said this was the 
the most popular book going, that every year it outsold every other book. But people didn't read it. They only bought it to have it, just like uh, the family tradition or just being being with the in crowd. You got a Bible in your living room. But anyhow, you have to earnestly contend. Now, boy, we've got to earnestly contend. And this is exactly what our church does, what Brother Hale does, what I do, what Brother Nortier does. And you're going to have to look real hard to find anybody else contending for the truth. Then he tells us that there were certain men in verse 4 that crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. You know why he adds that, why that's in the scriptures? It wants you to realize and to understand that God is not taken by surprise by anybody that even comes in and preaches a false gospel. God is not overwhelmed overpowered or helpless in a case like this. He's telling you that they were before of all ordained to this condemnation. This is part of God's plan. God gives Satan power. Satan gives this power to ungodly men and to ungodly spirits. God is not beaten. He's not overwhelmed. He's running the show, whether anybody knows it or not. Then he comes up with some facts in here. He's telling us that, you know, how many, many people were gloriously and wonderfully delivered out of Egypt. And all of us know that story. All the kids know the story of of Moses leading the children of Israel out in the plagues in Egypt and in the Lord opening the Red Sea and they all passed over dry shod. Their feet didn't even get wet. The sand at the bottom of the Red Sea was dried out for them. And what a wonderful deliverance it was. They saw the miracle. They had to marvel in their heart. This God who's leading us has got to be the most wonderful, powerful God that there ever was. And what did they do? He says at the end of verse 5, these people had to be destroyed because they believed not. They said the Lord destroyed everybody that was 20 years old and above except for the very few, like Joshua and Nun. Moses, the wonderful, wonderful spiritual leader of this people, committed one act of disobedience, and it was something that seems to be so very insignificant, but it wasn't with the Lord. He was told to speak to the rock. This was the second time. Remember the first time the Lord said, smite it. He smites it and the water comes out. The second time he says, speak to the rock. And Moses takes the rod and smites it again. The lesson there is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ was smitten once for sinners. 
But because he did that, what happens to Moses himself? Moses does not enter into the promised land either. But we're going to find something out about Moses from this great Bible expositor called Jude. But first of all, let's look at verse 6 where he's talking about angels. Now, we talked about these angels in our last message uh, in the Bible class. And it says, And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. We know from the Bible that there is no salvation for angels. Not the first or the last or the middle angel that fell. Is there any hope of mercy? It's not like you and me being human beings. Not like the Lord Jesus Christ taking on a body of flesh and blood like you and me and being able to be our substitute mediator. He doesn't do that for angels. It says there's no salvation for angels in a reserved and everlasting change under darkness waiting for the judgment. It's interesting, isn't it? And why did those angels fail or fall? They fell because they were not elected. You see how wonderful election is? If it wasn't for election, you and me would not be believers. You and me would not have ever heard the gospel. Regardless of where we heard it or how we heard it, we would have never have heard it if we weren't elect or chosen ones of God. And what a weak, despicable, despised people he selects. Not the rich, not the powerful, not the good-looking, not the famous, not the gifted, not the talented, but like we read in the Gatsby today, the simple-minded, the simple-hearted, the poor and the simple. All right, in verse 7, he goes into a Bible study back into the Old Testament. He knows this book inside and out because he goes from one character to another. He says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. Sounds like Homer or New Orleans or New York or Chicago or Los Angeles, Donna, Miami. This is the big thing today, fornication. Kids in school. There's so many little girls pregnant in school, it's unbelievable. And they're not all colored either. There's as many white girls pregnant as there are colored girls. And they have absolutely no knowledge of the Bible whatsoever. Their parents never taught them anything out of the Bible. I don't know what they've ever heard if they ever went to Sunday school, but they have no knowledge whatsoever of the scripture so you can't even talk to them they don't care the world has this thing going about you do your own thing and nobody tells you what to do and uh, you're free to do whatever you want to do and you don't have to listen to anybody and they gobble it up they love it it's brought to us on, on the radio it's on the TV programs kids sassy to their parents and 
and doing everything they want to do like adults. It, this is the age we're living in. And it given themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh. And it says these were set forth in his example. And just because the, the heavens don't open and, and rain down a fire and brimstone upon all of these people now doesn't mean that they're not going to suffer an eternal fire. Then we go to verse 9, and he speaks about Michael. You know, you know who Michael is? He is the archangel. He happens to be the uh, messenger of the Lord to Israel. And this is a little bit of information that you never could get anywhere else in the Bible. This is the only place where we find out how Moses got to heaven. You know, Moses and Elijah came back to visit our Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that? Where Peter says, oh, let's build three houses here, one for you and one for you and one for uh, Moses and Elijah and one for the Lord. And, and Moses had come from heaven. We say, well, how did he get there? Well, here's the story. Our Lord buried Moses on the mount himself. And he sent Michael the archangel to bring the body up. You see what it says? And yet Michael the archangel when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. When he came to get that body and take it back, Satan said, uh-uh. That's mine. It's just a dead body, and it belongs to me. Michael said, well, the Lord sent me to get it. Satan says, uh-uh, it belongs here. So Michael can't fight Satan. Satan is the most powerful of the created angelic spirits. All he could say is, the Lord rebuke thee, and I don't know how the body got back. But it had to do with the Lord having to come and help Michael. You wouldn't have known that if it wasn't in here, would you? I wouldn't have. And then he goes to another Old Testament character, Cain, and then Balaam in verse 11. For they have gone the way of Cain. Oh, what's the way of Cain? works do the best you can offer God what you think he should have and not what he demands eliminate blood eliminate a blood sacrifice that's the way of Cain anything else will do but don't bring blood Okay, another very, very choice bit of information that we didn't know about is over in verse 14. And Enoch also the seventh from Adam. So he was born in line seven from Adam. Still, you know, several thousand years later, I believe. And it says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. 
Now, I didn't know that Enoch had prophesied of anything. But the Holy Spirit told you that Enoch did. And it speaks about our Lord's second coming. When he comes with his saints. And of course, in the book of Revelation, we see where that takes place. In the 19th chapter of Revelation, we read where the Lord comes back with his saints. Verse 17, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers and the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Now, they give us a scripture reference here of 2 Peter 3, 2, and that has to do with the second coming of our Lord. If you want to turn over there, we can read it. 2 Peter 3, 2, just a few pages back. This is our friend Peter, and we're going to get to this part someday. Let's start with verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the, the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And what he's saying is that any of these people, these religious people are saying, nothing has changed. You've been saying the Lord's been going to come for 2,000 years. He hasn't come. Nothing's changed. He isn't going to come. People are people. The world's the same, but no, it isn't. You have to watch the nation of Israel as your time clock. This is what sets things in motion. And the motion was set off again, or the clock was started again, in 1948 when Israel became a nation. This is when it all started back again. And a generation in the scripture is approximately 45 years, and it's and there was one scripture in there that our Lord had mentioned that this generation shall see the coming of the Lord. So sometime between 48 and 1990 or 95, our Lord's coming back. So here it is, 1986. He hasn't come back yet, but he's still coming. No matter how many times we say it or how many times we read it, and because he hasn't come back yet, it's not like those in the 11th chapter of Hebrews that they all died not having the promises. Well, you're living in a time when the promise is going to be fulfilled. There isn't a one of us in here this morning that's too old that we can't live to see the coming of the Lord. Not a one. That's how close it is. Now, over in Peter, it says, and what were they arguing about? It says in verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of. And I find that willing ignorance is the most prevalent thing going today. People love to be ignorant, especially concerning God's word. 
they'll go to college, they'll study every hard thing, they'll study engineering and, and the high mathematics, the calculus and trig and, and get into computer science and everything. And they'll study hard and they'll stay up all night and, and spend a whole lot of money on it. But when it comes to God's word, they are willingly ignorant. Forget it. I am not interested. I don't give a flip about it. You can have your Bible. Willingly ignorant. And this is what it's all about. They're ignorant that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You know, one day this earth will be burned up. And it's not going to be because somebody set an atomic bomb. God's going to do it. It's reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Nobody's going to do the job for the Lord. He's going to do it himself. Okay. Let's get back to Jude where we have a few minutes. We're warned that in the last time there are those who will walk after their own ungodly lust and they're going to they're going to be great speakers also. They're going to be able to hold a great audiences. They're going to go to different places and hold meetings, and they're going to do marvelous things with their mouth. Look at verse 16. These are murmurers and complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And we had one of these guys at the school the other day. We had a, uh, a complete school assembly. Everybody went to the auditorium, and they had these Pentecostals come in. Now, they were told not to talk about the Christ and not to talk about religion. And yet they're, they're great entertainers, wonderful speakers, can make the kids laugh, can mimic colored people, can mimic white people, can mimic athletes, can change their voice and make it sound high or make it sound low, and just keep the kids in stitches. Religious entertainers speaking great swelling words. Well, they didn't even talk about religion, but when you go to any of these Pentecostal churches or anything, these people can hold your attention. They, can, they have the gift of gab. And it's, it's said in here that they speak great swelling words. And people admire them because they think that the preacher or that religious person can say no wrong. That's the advantage they have. Most people look up to a priest or to a minister. They downgrade everybody else, but they are generally kind of reverence a priest or a minister, thinking they're holy people. And that's the advantage you have on them. Verse 21 is great admonition. Keep yourselves in the love of God. 
looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Boy, you can't go wrong there. And if some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. This is kind of unclear to me. I, I don't know how to explain that to you. I really don't. But now this ending, verse 24 and 25, is one of the most beautiful endings that you will find anywhere to the glorifying of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Now we have talked about that so often, about sinners when they're deeply under conviction. They know their own heart and they know their own sinful life. They have a desire to have a new nature and to be with the Lord Jesus Christ and the thought is always in the back of their mind. Even if I get saved, I know this old wicked heart of mine will make me fall. I don't think I'll be able to hold out. Well, you see, they don't understand that the keeping power of our Lord Jesus Christ is just as great as his saving power. Those whom he saves, he keeps. He gives them power to overcome, and there's no temptation that comes upon any of God's people that he doesn't have power to overcome it. But you can't tell us to anybody. They must experience it. But he starts it off by saying, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Boy, that's great. And to present you faultless. And that's something else the sinner never, never feels. He never feels faultless. The closer you work, walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, the more vile and contaminated you feel your own heart and your own flesh is. You never feel faultless. You only know it. We have that perfect righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our garment. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You're never going to have to hang your head again. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. You know, there's a lot of people think that because our Lord Jesus Christ has not come back yet as a king, that he hasn't come back to, to rule the earth and to put down sin and, and the sinful element in the world, that he isn't, he isn't acting like God. But this is, in, this is in God's wisdom. All of this lies within his own plan. It says here, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power. When? It says both now and ever. Amen. 
Our Lord is on the throne right now. He's controlling what evil there is in the world because of things that we do not understand. We don't understand why he allows Satan to be, why he allows evil to be. But it's here, and he does. And he brings his people over it, around it, above it, or whatever. He brings his people to the place of salvation because he's the only wise God. And yet when he does come, then the book explodes. It becomes so wonderful, the promises of us having resurrected bodies, us ruling and reigning with Christ. I can't comprehend that yet. I can't comprehend me doing one thing as far as leading anybody or ruling or reigning. I can't. I'm a follower. And yet it says we all, Miss Petey and, and, and Miss Hale and Miss Brown, are going to be leaders and rulers somewhere. And all of God's people. Quite a thought, huh? Well, our Lord is great. He's gracious. And he's given us a part of a message this morning. I hope you've all enjoyed being introduced to Jude. You didn't know that he was such a Bible expositor. We want to keep our pastor in mind. Keep him in your prayers. Bring him to the throne of God's grace. And ask the Lord to raise him up. You've listened well. You've learned a little more about our Lord Jesus Christ and his servants. And if you can, come back and be with us tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee for this morning hour. We thank you for the visit in the book of Jude. Warnings, admonitions, promises, glorings. How wonderful when one of thy people uplift and uphold our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. Thank you for all the prophets, all the forefathers, all the writers of the scriptures, all those who gave their lives for it to preserve it later. Thou certainly art the all-wise God. May our hearts bow before thee this day in admiration and in praise. And this being Thanksgiving week, May each day our hearts go out to thee with thanksgiving for thy great and precious gift of thy Son for us. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.